Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cover 4 Live. I'm Brandon Adams. Happy to uh, have the entire Dog Nation team, Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley. We are ready to talk about some Georgia football tonight. We'll get into what's going to happen on Saturday, but also what's happening around UGA, around the SEC a lot, and the rest of college football here over the course of our time together there as well. But for someone like me, who's a little bit of an emotional sap, just to be completely honest with you, I'll always be that way. Senior day always just kind of, what is it people say, kind of gets me in the feels just a little bit. Um, it, I'm always amazed by how quickly these tenures in Georgia come to a close. Uh, a lot of very good football players will play their final home game on Saturday. Now, also, there are a lot of people who don't quite yet know if they are playing their final home game or not because of the complications of the extra year eligibility that was brought about by the COVID issue from a year ago. But but certainly, this is a, a special day for, uh, for, a, for a lot of players. And I know this week, Kirby Smart talked about Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, their decision to come back and how impactful that was for UGA. But there's always just kind of something special about Senior Day. Uh, Mike, I know you've kind of been following this closely there this week too. What jumps out to you and what is significant for you for a lot of these Georgia Bulldogs getting ready to play their last game in Athens? Uh, yeah, B.A., just, you know, talking with Jordan Davis this week. I mean, every time we talk with Jordan Davis, I'm reminded – you know just how special he is and 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 what keeps bringing me back to my profession when you meet a young man like this is as humble as jordan uh, a guy who's grown right before your eyes and matured i brandon i still remember sitting next to you at a tennessee game and you nudging me saying i really like this kid keep an eye on him and sure enough he's just blossomed into this superstar and yet he's remained so grounded he's just one of those players you know and i'll say this Sports writers don't typically root for teams, but you absolutely root for people. And Jordan Davis is the kind of player that you can't help but root for. Yeah, Connor, I mean, if I could have a team full of Jordan Davises, I would certainly be very happy about that because of, first of all, he is a really good player. And, you know, I know that sometimes his thing kind of gets cast as a little bit of an underdog story because the only three-star recruit. And I understand why that's the case. But I do truly believe these Georgia coaches always knew that he was a good player. I, I truly believe they always had him pegged, always had him identified um, as a player they wanted just as much as anybody else they signed in that 2018 class. And I think it took the rest of the world a little bit of time to catch up with just how good a lot of folks I mean, in, in this Georgia staff already thought Jordan Davis was to begin with. Yeah, it's hard to be an underdog when you're 6'6 and 350 pounds and playing as a freshman, but that's what, yeah, fair what Jordan Davis was doing, and he's gotten better every single year. And, you know, in years past, obviously not not so much recently when we've seen freshmen or younger players be able to win the Heisman, you think of, of that award, a lot of times it was sort of a career accomplishment thing. I do think Jordan Davis, what he has accomplished in his career at Georgia – is worth celebrating. You know, Georgia's going to very well lead the country in run defense for the past three seasons. Davis is the single most important reason why Georgia has held that stat there. And he he and Devontae Wyatt, I would add as well, Kirby Smart sort of talked about him and his impact of coming back this week. The impact that those two guys have of just being stars in their roles and doing what they're asked to do, I think it exemplifies what this Georgia defense is and is all about. And I, sure, I wish it was a better opponent on Saturday that we could celebrate against than Charleston Southern. But for guys like James Cook, Zamir White, who made the decision to come back this year, I think it's going to be a really special day for all those guys. By the way, shouts out to Foster Moss, who's checking in with us. He says he's actually walking into Mercedes-Benz Stadium for Falcons-Patriots tonight. We're obviously monitoring that. I joked with Connor before the show began. Connor's a big Patriots fan that 
we're kind of squaring off here a little bit tonight um, with uh, Falcons Patriots. So uh, Thursday night football ongoing, Foster going to the game, but also tuned in with us right now. Foster, I really appreciate that. And Jeff, with the idea of senior night or senior day on Saturday and that theme, you know, uh, Connor mentioned Devontae Wyatt. I'm reminded of you and me and Wyatt who joined us at the Marlowe's Tavern and so, I believe it was uh, Roswell uh, going back a good number of years ago. And he was such an engaging personality. Folks just loved him so much that night. And, well, you blink your eyes and it's a career, you know, getting ready to come to an end. And, you know, what a senior season he's had. And obviously his biggest games are still yet to come here this year. But you reflect on a guy that's really made himself into a terrific football player. I, I've heard this from opposing staffs here this year, just how impressed they are with what Wyatt has kind of become. And, you know, I think you ought to be commended for that. And I know you remember that night as well as I do when he was with us there. And it's always nice to see where guys go from those initial interviews to take place before they actually become UGA players. Yeah, for me, Brandon, I'm going to kind of be an emotional, nostalgic, not so much as sap, but kind of proud for a lot of these guys because I know most of the stories. I know you mentioned Devontae Wyatt. The two things that come to my mind is Air Force Ones. He ran in track. He ran a track meet in high school and he made a bet. He won a bet and they had him run the 100 meters for his high school track team at Towers High. And he ran that in something like 11'7", 11'8", at 295 pounds when he was just a junior. I remember his high school coach, um, there was a bad element in his high school. And uh, the wrong crowd was wanting to really snatch up Devontae Wyatt. And it sounded to me like something from the movie Lean on Me, where his, his principal and his head coach told a group of guys that were described to me as in a gang. They said, let me have this one. Don't take him. Don't, don't, don't take him away from school. Don't, don't try to lure him away from school. Let me have him because he's going to do something with his life. I think of James Cook and his mother who basically uh, dressed him down and said, you're going to go to Georgia and you're going to be a man and Dell McGee is going to make you a man. And that time James Cook couldn't deliver an interview of more than two or, two or three words. I remember his mom saying, now, James, that is not a good enough answer for this reporter. You need to give him at least two full sentences. And she yeah. wouldn't, she wouldn't let, him, let him go until she gave me two really good sentences. I think of Jordan Davis, the first offer he ever got was from Trey Scott when he was at North Carolina. You can go up and down the Georgia roster. There's like 28, 29 guys that are going to be honored on senior day. Humble prediction is I bet 12 or 13 of those guys come back. Maybe it's, it's so nice they're going to do it twice. And I don't care if it's Charleston Southern because Charleston Southern is much better than thank you Vanderbilt and no senior day from a year ago. Indy Clip making fun of me for having my tree up. That's the only piece of Christmas we have up right now. Now, listen – by the time we get to December, this place really is like the Griswolds, but uh, the kids wanted to start this a couple of weeks ago, so we uh, let them do that. By the way, James Walhan, and I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, James, uh, gives some kind words here in the comment section for uh, just the uh, content that we do. James, that means a lot. I really appreciate that, and I just appreciate you tuning in to watch us here tonight there as well. So big thanks on all that front. As far as the game itself goes, you know, you know, it obviously is what it is there in that front. Mike, is there anything that could happen between the white lines on Saturday? I mean, obviously, uh, barring injury, which you hope does not, you know, you know, leer, you know, rear its ugly head. Is there anything that could happen in the game that you would find interesting? Well, on several fronts, yes, absolutely. I mean, games like this, you know, it's a level above G-Day, but it's similar in the respect that there's a lot of young players that we want to see play. Um, certainly the quarterbacks. We haven't seen Carson Beck in a while. I'd like to see Brock Vandegrift if the game lends itself to that. 
I'd like to see Darnell Washington get more involved. He's only had one target the last two games. Um, you know, George Pickens is a guy we keep waiting for every week. I, I don't know that we're going to get a, a, a telegraph from Kirby Smart or an announcement that George Pickens is going to play. I just – and, Connor, you may feel the same or different, but I almost just feel like one day George is going to run on the – he's going to dress out in the pregame and he's going to run on the field. I'm not saying I think that's going to happen, but I, I kind of wonder – when it does happen uh, defensively in the secondary, I think that the lack of depth, we saw the, the, the brilliant adjustment Georgia made on Tennessee uh, early on uh, seemed to be just, it's the, the depth and adjustments these coaches makes incredible, but at the same time, they've still got to get guys like Bullard and Lassiter uh, some repetitions and, and some experience. Uh, Nyland green, you just don't know when it's going to be next man up. So those are some of the things at the top of my list. Connor, who are some young players that you'd like to see play? Because that's obviously the thing. I think that for the people who are watching our content, that's a pretty plugged-in Georgia fan, and this is the thing they're interested in. Now, for a lot of folks, this is the only Georgia game they may get a chance to go to, and so they're just kind of there to see the pageantry and there to just sort of experience the moment. But for a lot of our audience, it's a little deeper than that. It's, it's you know, guys that you haven't seen maybe play at all or not very much. Who are some of those guys that you do think could be intriguing if they get a chance to really crack second half or whenever it occurs? Yeah, uh, Mike touched on Brock Vandergriff there. That's certainly a name to watch. It sounds like it, because he's actually working scout team, it sounds like he's getting more reps than Carson Beck is at this point in time. And part of that, too, is the fact that Georgia's played a string of mobile quarterbacks and Brock is a more mobile quarterback than Carson is. I think that's sort of the lead name on the offensive side defensively, Kamari Lasseter is a name that really sticks out to me. He's a guy who Kirby Smart mentioned this week, working a little bit more in the star position, them trying to get him reps there. He's a guy who I think could very easily end up being your starting cornerback opposite Keely Ringo to start next season, but because of the way that he is continuously impressed. I'll be interested to see how much he gets reps at both one of those corner positions, but also in that star position, maybe even early on in the game, because I think based off what we saw against Tennessee, that's pretty clearly Georgia's biggest weakness at this point in time in in that defense. And then two guys in that front seven, and I guess I could throw Nazir Stackhouse in there as well, yeah. given we've seen him play well when asked to this season. Chaz Chambliss and Jamon Dumas-Johnson. Chaz Chambliss picked up a sack last week against Tennessee, and this Georgia outside linebacker room with Nolan Smith dealing with an elbow injury. Now Kirby has said he is fine, but that outside linebacker room gets really thin pretty quick, so I'll be interested to see what kind of progress he has made. And then Jamon Dumas-Johnson, he's not going to play a whole lot this year just given how great Quay Walker, Channing Tilden, and Kobe Dean are. But every time that guy is on the field, he makes plays. And I think he's going to absolutely do that as a starter next year for Georgia. But I'd love to see him get some more opportunity and some more run in this game and see what he can do as he gets more and more reps under his belt. Baba Yaga checking us out on Twitch. want to make sure I shouted that out. Nice to have the Twitch folks tuning in here tonight. I feel so hip and cool for even just saying that. Uh, I think uh, Jeff Connor brings up some terrific names there. And obviously, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, someone that I've heard a lot about. I think that he has just loads and loads of potential at UG. I'm obviously not the only one that feels that way. Most people do. Uh, on the other side of that, though, you know, i got to admit something, Jeff, and I think you and I have talked about this a little bit in the past, that – I wasn't quite so sure that Chaz Chambliss was going to be an outside linebacker at Georgia. I, I didn't know if eventually he might gravitate more towards defensive end or something along those lines. Obviously, even as a high school player, it was an unbelievable physical condition, very rocked up even before he even arrived at Georgia. But you see him get the sack last week. You hear a little bit of buzz around him every now and then. I mean, he may be on his way to proving me wrong. And, you know, some of those suspicions that I had of would he really stick at outside linebacker? Is he better suited to play somewhere else? 
you know, what you saw last week with him getting the quarterback is maybe a reminder that, you know what, he may actually be an OLB in this program. Yeah, I like the Chad story. Uh, you know, first of all, Brandon, I know you're hip enough to know where the Bobby Yeah Yeah comes from, right? You, you're up on your John, Wick's mov- John Wick movies, right? The Boogeyman? Yeah, I mean, I know you're the movie, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that. Oh, you need to watch that one. That's a good one. <laughs> I, will. I will. I've heard good uh, things. Speaking, speaking of a guy that could be like a John Wick on the field, that's Chad's Chambliss because a, a lot of folks tell me that know what they're talking about, that there's probably nobody that works harder on the Georgia team than Chad's Chambliss. I, I like two stories from him. Number one is, uh, man, the Tennessee folks were ragging him last week. They were going through all the, the warm-up drills, and they were right in the pit, the pulpit of all the – Tennessee toxicity. They were spitting acid at the Bulldogs warming up. Uh, Chaz was doing a play drill, uh, read and react, go catch a ball drill, and he dropped it. And those Vol fans let him have it. And he just kind of laughed. He kind of just went along with it, like, all right. And the other thing he does on the road when we get a chance to see him is he goes and finds Nolan. When it's time to hit somebody, he gets down, and they they warm each other up during pre-practice. It's always fun watching Chaz. I think the name – I think Connor got, got got my bingo card a little bit about, about all the names. I like the Jamon Dumas-Johnson pick there a lot. Um, I think Lassiter is right now is the most physical corner Georgia's got amongst those young guys. <clears throat> and I think that's, that's the reason why he gets in there. Big picture-wise, I'd probably say this is a game where we can see what Carson Beck could be at Georgia or will be at Georgia – um, if I had to think about a guy that I think might have the best stat line of the game, that might be a Carson Beck, or it also might be a Dejon Edwards. And I think that type of guy. I also want to see some of those young offensive linemen like Micah Morris, see how much he might play, see how much a guy like Cameron Kenny might play, one of those second, third team type guys, uh, Chad Lindbergh. Guys, Georgia has so many players. I just rattled off a bunch of high school All-Americans. There's Dylan Fairchild in there. Micah Morris, Chad Lindbergh. I'm not even counting Broderick Jones or Marius Mims. Those are guys that are still waiting to catch the two deep on the offensive line. And I think this is a game where you're going to see a lot of those guys get the chance to perform. Can you play four quarterbacks in the game? I mean, I, I'm straining to even imagine when I've seen four quarterbacks play. Maybe it happens more frequently than than I know. But most Georgia fans do hope to see four guys play on Saturday. Mike, is that even realistically possible? I think so. You know, a lot of it has to do with with uh, I, I think how Stett starts out. I mean, Kirby's made it clear he wants uh, to work with Stett game to game, improve him, maintain that continuity. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see Stetson play at least the first half. You know, um, you know, because again, I mean, this is a team that that I'm calling this the preseason of the postseason. These next two games are the preseason for the postseason. And I want the starting quarterback to get at least half a game in. And, and then, you know, you, you chop up the third and the fourth quarter, you know, for your depth, guys. I mean, I, I think they feel comfortable with what JT can do coming off the bench. I think, uh, you know, he's a clear-cut number two. He gets a good amount of reps. As Connor said, Brock is getting more reps than Carson is just because of the nature of the scout team versus that three spot. Um, and, and then we have to wonder, you know, does Kirby throw the ball – you know, with Carson and Brock and JT, or do you just hand off and, and and get the game over with? Because if we're being honest about it, on the one hand, you want to see player development, but on the other, you really want to make sure that all your starters stay safe and you get out of this game without any more injuries because they're very thin uh, in the secondary. 
And uh, really, I, you know, with Kendall Milton not expected back till next week, I think you want to be very careful with, with James Cook as well. So let's just finish up with this, and anybody who wants it can take it. So Milton coming back, you hope. Uh, Blaylock was actually a little bit of a surprise, at least for me, to see him dressed out last week against Tennessee. Mike, I believe it was, to mention George Pickens a little earlier. Does anybody want to give me an outlook on injured players and who realistically – is going to you know suit up for the SEC championship game based on what the next couple of weeks are going to uh, look like. Connor Riley, I'm looking at you. Yeah, I'll say Blaylock is out there. I think Blaylock has a chance to play this weekend. It depends if he's still battling the flu, but it sounds like there are no longer any physical ailments with with Dom as far as that hamstring and that knee. And I think him traveling to Tennessee and dressing last week, I think was very telling there. Jamari mm-hmm. Sawyer, we expect to be back. Uh, Nolan Smith and Devontae Wyatt, I would say. Would both also be back. I know they left the game last week with injuries. Kenna Milne, I would pencil, but maybe not quite pen in yet. Uh, Kirby had said they were optimistically hoping to get him back for the Georgia Tech game and, you know, SEC championship game being a week later. We'll see there. Uh, Mike Mike sort of hit the nail on the head when it, came, when it comes to George Pickens. I, I doubt there's going to be some grand announcement. Uh, because I kind of think if that were happening, we would have we seen it this week. But it's going to be a situation where, hey – George is dressed, he's playing, and, and that's sort of the way it goes. And personally speaking, until I see that, I'm still going to remain a little bit skeptical that we see George out there just given all that he has working for him in terms of an NFL future and whatnot. So I would say Blaylock, Milton, Sawyer, the, the only one that I'm still sort of interested in that we know is not out for the season is, in fact, George Pickens. Jeff, I'll give you the last word on this injury front here. Anything that you kind of expect to happen or curious about happening? Obviously, George has been waiting on some of these guys for quite some time. And, boy, now would be a pretty good time to start getting some of them back. Yeah, I think some of them. It, the road the road to Atlanta, I think it needs to happen maybe next week against Georgia Tech. That's when I would watch for everybody to start wondering about Pickens, wondering about Milton, if it's going to happen if it's going to happen in December. I think that would be a really good tune-up for both of those guys right there. Um, I like Blaylock. I like that suggestion. He's looked like he probably could have went. I saw him last week on the field uh, at Rocky Top before the Tennessee game, and he was working with the twos. Kind of didn't look like that old Dom yet. Still maybe a little bit gingerly coming in out of his breaks. Um, but it is a progress point and an indicator. You know, everybody's got to remember who's who's the guy that could show up, who's the next guy that could show up. Well, Dom has went from out of the knee brace uh shorts and warming up before the game and now full dress before the game at Tennessee I think he's ramping up to see what he can do and if they get Dominic Blaylock back and he starts giving him good football down the stretch offense gets a lot more potent let's turn our attention go ahead go ahead Mike I was gonna say so you think Pickens is gonna take a swing at it against Georgia Tech Jeff uh Nice play. Don't be giving away those jokes for free, man. This is a cover four, man. Don't be giving away. Save that. Save that material for your national uh, TV spots, man. Let's turn our attention now to a story kind of outside the boundaries of Georgia football, but certainly makes you think about UGA a little bit as former Kirby Spart lieutenant, both on the same staff together with uh, Nick Saban at one point in Alabama and obviously defensive coordinator here at Georgia. Mel Tucker has had great success at Michigan State and has Michigan State playing a big football game on Saturday against Ohio State. And he's also been rumored to be in the mix for other jobs as well to the point where now I guess Michigan State's going to pony up to keep him. I even heard the story that I guess Michigan State's basketball team bust to Indianapolis this week to play Butler because they were told to try to save some money where they could, leaving some to think, well, maybe that's because they're going to about to 
pay up big to keep Mel Tucker. But I, I guess the Detroit Free Press is reporting here it's a 10-year, $95 million contract, which even I can do that math. That puts Tucker at about $9.5 million a year, which is just an unseemly sum. I don't hate him for getting what he can, uh, go get paid. But when you think about Kirby Smart, who I believe makes a good bit less than that, if this is the money that the former uh, smart D.C. Mel Tucker's about to make, Mike, does this lead you to believe that Kirby Smart is is underpaid as, at Georgia's head coach? Because he'll be well below this mark. Yeah, no doubt. And, and he'll he'll sign a contract after this year. And $100 million in 10 years is, to me, the, the over-under, what you're looking at for Kirby Smart. He, he's going to be a $100 million man. It, you, you've got to realize he hasn't extended his contract since 2018. Now, during that time, Georgia has been very aggressive with facilities. We've seen $180 million in facilities the last six years. Kirby's had a blank check to go out and hire assistant coaches, although it's worth noting one year he actually decreased the payroll after Tucker and uh, Cheney left. So Kirby's been very responsible with the spending for his assistant coaches. I think Dan Lanning deserves every penny he's gotten. I don't think anybody could look sideways at what the Georgia coaching staff makes especially when you consider we have 6% state income tax here and a lot of the other states don't have any state income tax, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, namely. So I think Kirby's been very responsible with his staff. They have spent a lot on recruiting, but he has produced in recruiting. And the results are, are they're hard to question, guys. Uh, every year we're talking about Georgia in contention for the national championship. I think last year when they lost to Florida – and that abomination of a game, the, the cascade of events like a plane crash, as I call it, took a million things to go wrong for that loss. Uh, that was the first time since the 2016 season that Georgia was going to play a regular season game outside of college football playoff contention. That is amazing. And, and I recognize that what Alabama's done is super and, you know, clap it up for Ohio State, whatever. But for Georgia to do this, to become this consistent annual national championship contender that can recruit coast to coast from Northern California and Kendall Milton to Southern California and JT Daniels, uh, Brock Bowers, the, the unicorn from Cal. I mean, think about these special players that come from all over now to play at Georgia. Kirby has made Georgia a national program, not necessarily just a super regional program, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, Connor, the whole contract thing is weird to me because I mean, if Kirby Smart went into like, uh, you know, uh, offices and said, uh, Josh Brooks' office and said, hey, I want to make $10 million a year, I'm guessing they'd probably just let him have the money because obviously he's doing great at Georgia. So in one respect, I'm like, well, why doesn't he just do that then? Because who wouldn't want three more million if they could get it? But, you know, I, I guess if this is where contracts are going, if a guy like Tucker's really about to get this amount of money to stay at Michigan State, then pretty soon that becomes the benchmark by which everybody else is compared to. And obviously, at that point in time, Kirby Smart's going to be due for a big raise because certainly no one deserves to make more money than he's going to make. Um, I guess I find this whole thing to, to be, uh, I guess, a little bit weird in that, you know, if, if coaches are going to make this kind of money, then you would think that Kirby Smart's going to probably make that kind of money there as well at some point. Yeah, interesting little math nugget here on Mel Tucker. If Georgia wins this weekend, which we all expect to happen – and Michigan State were to lose this weekend, which we all also expect to happen. Do you know that Mel Tucker in his two-plus years at Michigan State will have the same number of wins there that Kirby Smart has at Georgia this season? Mm. Uh, great for Mel Tucker for being able to get this first-team all-bag. Let me tell you something. If Mel Tucker is getting paid $9.5 million a year, the same number uh, that Jimbo Fisher is getting at Texas A&M, right. he, 
Michigan State is just lighting their money on fire. But as far as transitioning this back to Kirby, I mean, Mike, Mel Tucker has not worked nine and a half million. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Time out. He's not worked. Quick sidebar. I'm going to ask you a question. What is the better coaching job and where is it easier to win, Texas A&M or Michigan State? Texas A&M. Well, if you want to compete, if you want to play, you got to pay. And if Mel Tucker is the ticket to be able to compete with Michigan, even though they have all these resources, and we'll see about Ohio State, to your point, Connor. If he goes out and gets railroaded by 34 points or 35 points, we'll see. But you, you got to understand what a – it's like Auburn. Think about what it would take to get a coach in there that could win national championships at Auburn, what you'd have to pay. That's the example I'd give you. Now, go, I mean, one, sorry, of the things that you, one of the things you all both bring up that I do have to say I have on my mind very heavily here is – it is going to be, as the kids say, awk if, um, uh, <laughs> if 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 they go out and lose, but thirty points on Saturday, and they're you know three touchdown underdog as it is. I mean, how do you sign this guy to an unprecedented contract um, if he just gets it handed to him by Ohio State, which I do think is a possibility? I point out the contract has not been signed yet, and I think yeah. if you if you connect the dots here a little bit, you might see where that might have come from. This idea that there's going to be that kind of contract out there. I mean, as far as Kirby Smart, you think it's a little bit want, of an agent drop? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think that. I think they're trying to pressure that into happening. And you know, Mel Tucker at seven million, you know, that's or even eight million, which is what Jim Harbaugh made before restructuring his deal last year. That's a little bit easier to stomach. Nine and a half million is just a little too rich for my blood, like some fettuccine Alfredo for Ted Lasso. As far as Kirby Smart, there, you know, again. I'd like to see him win the championship before he really starts breaking the bank and getting into that Saban stratosphere of 10, over 10 million, 11 million, 12 million. Uh, just given that is sort of the expectation that we have had for him. I think Dabo comes in just under 10 and he gave some money back due to COVID. So as far as Kirby Smart's own contract, look, he's done everything great. He's pretty clearly going to get a raise from the 7.1 he's making right now. But as far as how high up he climbs, that depends on how Georgia finishes this season. So there's something that I've been trying to bite my tongue to keep from saying, but I believe I'm about to spit this out here in a minute. So let me let Jeff jump in this topic, and then I'm, I'm going to say the one thought that I can't quite get out of my mind when it comes to all of this. So, uh, Jeff, hop in here on anything you want to do, and um, uh, we'll uh, – I'll, I'll say what I need to say. B.A., I'm going to let you simmer on that one for a little bit, get the mushroom cloud going. Here's, here's what I want to know about this. In the week where what? Let's say somebody's private business has become really public. I'm intrigued by how they're attaching donors' names to this contract. Like they, it was the announcement that so-and-so Rockefeller and so-and-so, uh, so-and-so richguy.com is going to be fronting the money for this contract. So Kirby well, goodness gets knows, the Georgia's corner of the market on that. About half the people that work at Georgia have a, have a name to their title now. Uh, which I know I guess it, it, I'd like to see. I'd like to see how how long the collection plate would need to go around for Georgia to get to get Georgia to a, to eleven million dollars for Kirby Smart. And all I know is this: I think it's the highest number. Mike, is it nine? Is that nine and a half in the SEC? Is that what the highest number is no, right now? Saban's in Saban's in double digits. It, it says it says according to the USA Today today of last week, it was nine point seven for Saban, nine for Ordron, eight point nine for Shaw, and eight point three. I think Saban's 11, Connor, may have had a retention bonus in it last year. Mm. That makes sense. I would like to see a way that Jimmy Sexton doesn't have more and more Christmas presents under the tree <laughs> with this negotiation, but it is not possible. 
Um, I think, you know, Sexton Moss with, with Jimmy Sexton seems to get richer and richer will continue. I think the number for Kirby probably needs to be a respect number. If he wins it all and brings home that natty, I think the number probably needs to be somewhere around 10. That's a so good here's point. the Maybe thing. 10, that, 7, 5. Here's the thing that I am trying to bite my tongue to, for, to keep from saying, because it's just going to sound like I'm stirring the pot. And I guessed in the way I am, but I don't mean to do it intentionally. The way that you get big money in college football is flirting with taking another job. Like, I'm of the belief that Kirby Smart probably coaches George for another 20 years. Um, that's my expectation. But can you really expect to go 20 years of Kirby at Georgia without there ever being a moment when he flirts with taking another job? Vince Dooley had that moment when he was here. Uh, a few years ago, Nick Saban kind of, I guess, depending on who you believe, flirted with taking the Texas job. Dabo Sweeney may have his moment in a few years when he flirts with taking the Alabama job whether it's another college job, which seems strange to even mention, an NFL job. I mean, Mike, do you think Kirby Smart can go 20 years at Georgia? And I'm just picking that number because that seems like a long time to stay somewhere. 20 years at Georgia, and there's never a moment when when Smart at least listens to overtures from somewhere else, whether it's to get like the gigantic $20 million a year salary or or just to make sure that everybody knows that, that, that they you know need to make sure they – keep appreciating him. I mean, do you think we can go a full Kirby smart career without there ever being a, a smart name linked to some other job somewhere? Well, first off, I don't think you have him that long. I think you may have him another eight or nine years tops. Uh, number one, he makes enough money and, and the way Kirby is, uh, I mean, uh, you know, shines bright like a star, but boy, I mean, this guy, you know, you heard that halftime speech guys. Uh, Connor and I have been out there on the practice field and kind of heard the echoes as we walk away of him over the mic. That's that's not just a halftime speech. That's a lifestyle for Kirby that you heard there at halftime. Uh, but to your point, B.A., I, I wonder if you, you know, I, I think they're going to win the national championship this year. Um, and so I don't necessarily think there's a flirtation after that. But if Kirby manages the remainder of this season in optimal fashion, we could be looking at a dynasty. And after a second national championship, I think he would really have to wonder if he wanted to stay at Georgia or maybe explore a job in the NFL. But that, that to me, is probably three or four years off. Uh, before you jump in here, Connor, I guess to clarify what I'm saying here, I, I guess I kind of almost wonder that if Kirby is going to just be entrenched as alma mater and he never looks around at all, which most people think he would, then maybe Kirby does end up making as much money as some of these other coaches who are showing you – a little more of a willingness to kind of bounce around a little bit. I guess that's the point that I'm kind of getting to here. Uh, Connor, jump in. Yeah, one, before we throw the D word out there, let's at least have Georgia win one national championship before putting the cart 2-4 before the horse there. As far as Kirby looking elsewhere, I'll say this. I don't think he ever goes to the NFL. I think he enjoys recruiting too much. I think he enjoys being around uh, high school athletes and being in those type of environments more so than the corporate atmosphere of the NFL. And so because of that, I mean, he's already at his alma mater there. So you, you, you rule out any move elsewhere like that. And I, I mean, there's a case why every year you have people say Georgia is the best job in college football, even though I, I think some of the recruiting advantages that people believe exist here are a little bit overstated. Uh, Texas definitely isn't a better job at this point in time with the dysfunction right. their boosters have displayed. USC can't seem to figure things out. And I also think the, the decline in youth sports, youth football in particular in California, has eaten into their sort of advantage out there that they yeah. used to have. Alabama is a good state, but it is not Georgia in terms of the type of product that right. they produce in terms of the high school level. So 
I, you know, while sure I would be on it, you'd probably be smarter betting the field that he someone does decide to make a run for him. There's not a better job for Kirby, especially as long as he continues to have that love of recruiting, which I think he's going to. Jeff, I think Connor brings up a really good point, which is that in addition to the fact that there's an emotional tie for Kirby that runs very, very deep, it's also just practically speaking the best job in college football as it is. It's the kind of job that no one might willingly leave. And certainly for someone like Smart, who not only is he an alumnus, but his wife's an alumna as as well. I mean, this is a this is a Georgia family through and through. So from that standpoint, you know, there may not ever be that viable moment where, hey, maybe we will consider packing up the family truckster and moving to blah, blah, blah. It just doesn't seem to make any sense for Kirby. And if that's the case, then maybe that we are destined to see five, six coaches in college football just making more money than him, no matter where the salaries are going, because there are other coaches out there that are just a lot more willing to flirt. Yeah, I got a few takes on this. Number one, I don't think Kirby ever leaves for the NFL. I think Kirby actually – being the son of a longtime high school coach that coached all his life. Uh, I think he's going to coach probably 10, 15 years. I think 15 years might be the number there. I don't worry about burnout with Kirby because Kirby's coaching burn, so to speak, and the, how hard he gets after it. It was much the same as it was his first year at Georgia. And even when he was at Alabama, this is just the only way he knows how to do his job. And I think he relishes in it. Uh, I think there'll be ways for, for Kirby to still be challenged. I think Connor had it right. The, the really most impressive thing or the most important, the thing he gets the most joy out of uh, is, is recruiting. I think that will change a lot over the next couple of years with NIL, and he'll try to find a way to surf and kind of master the new mainstream and everything. Other, other wrinkles you see happening. I mean, Brandon, did you see this news item this week where Heinz Ward was given now a full-time job as the wide receivers coach at Florida Atlantic University? This is Heinz Ward with about $40 million worth in the bank. He could viably be an NBC commentator if he wants to, but he wants to be in the grind. He wants to coach. He wants to recruit. And can you imagine somehow – I'm going to tell you this. If if Heinz Ward is still coaching in college football in like five years from now, it's going to be too much tractor pull, too much inertia and gravity not to get him on the Georgia staff. Uh, Connor, go ahead. Yeah, one thing a commenter brought up, uh, Steve Aronica – how long was Kirby Smart the defensive coordinator at Bama where he could have gone to so many sure. different jobs but That's chose true. to be patient and wait for specifically this opening? I think the fact that he showed that much patience at that point in time in his life where it's so easy. You see so many coordinators, you see so many coordinators at Alabama leave at the first marquee job they're offered. That's I think true. because Kirby showed that patience that he was willing to wait for that, I, it explains maybe why he would stick it out here. And I thought that was a really good comment by Steve. I think that's a, actually a very good point. Mike, I know this comes across like I'm trolling. And I don't mean to. I guess the one thing I can't quite close my mind off to is, is if the opportunity to go take his defensive scheme to the NFL and see how that would work with NFL players against those sharp offensive minds that exist in that league. For as much as Kirby Smart is kind of born to recruit, and I think he really is, this is also a guy that likes drawing up schemes in the dirt too. And I, I can't say there's a 0% chance he'd ever try the NFL. I, I think if there was ever a guy that was built to coach college football, it's Kirby Smart. I mean, he just seems like like that's just in his DNA. But I, I can't say that it's a 0% chance that he might not flirt with the New York Giants or whatever job that, that, that might come open if that ever, ever came around because it's just one of those – there's only 32 of those jobs in the entire world. It's a hard thing not to at least listen to. Yeah, and, and, and when you hear Tur- Kirby talk about, you know, his philosophy and, uh, you know, his strive for success, you know, he's a guy that says, you know, the day that he's not getting better, um, you know, is the day he needs to, to do something different. And, 
that's why I was mentioning the dynasty, Connor, you know, that that's what it would take, in my opinion, for Kirby to move on uh, more than one national championship. I think he would need to win at least two. And then it would be more of a matter of, hey, I've climbed the mountain. What's next out there for me? I think about, you know, one of my favorite coaches is Pete Carroll. And I think because of his journey, you know, Pete Carroll was a failed NFL coach uh, many times over. And Connor probably knows that better than anyway. He was in New England for a little while. That might have been before Connor was born. I can't remember. But but he, uh, you know, th- what he did at USC, right? I mean, he was on top of the world at uh, USC. And, and, you know, now he's in the NFL. And you think about Urban Meyer, uh, a guy who had a lot of success in the college. You think about Nick Saban, frankly. You know, Nick went to the NFL after his national championship at LSU. It just strikes me as something that, you know, that desire for for greatness. I mean, I, I'm one of the people I, I've heard B.A. call games on Friday nights. He's wonderful at hosting shows, but he's also a great play-by-play guy. I think everyone wants to try to evolve and maximize their skills. That's one of the great things about our job, guys, is we don't just write. We get to do video, take, you know, send tells, of, you know, Cracker Jack photographer. We all get to do a lot of different things. But at that level, you know, Kirby can't moonlight as an NFL coach and a college coach. So I guess that's why I think that there could be an evolution to that one day if he feels like that he has climbed the, the top of the mountain in college. Let's change the subject here for a moment. It's Cover 4 Live. Mike Griffith, Connor Riley, Jeff Centel. I'm Brandon Adams. You know, it's kind of funny. Like, Georgia is just like – sailing right along there's very little going on georgia's kind of just methodically you know you know eviscerating opponents getting ready for the sec championship but as quiet as things are in athens it is mass chaos in about three quarters of the sec right now the likes of which that you know i guess it's this way each and every year it's why i love this time of year we call it the silly season with all the coaching rumors and things like that let me see if i can give you all these so lincoln riley this week was asked about the lsu job Shane Beamer this week was asked about the Virginia Tech job. Reports out of South Florida connect Lane Kiffin to the Miami job. Jimbo Fisher gave an emphatic denial for about the third time this season (laughs) about the LSU job. Um, Florida is just on the verge of firing Dan Mullen if he sneezes in the wrong direction. Odds on favorite to to be the next head coach fired, I would point out there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the case. I mean, just stop and bask in like the soap opera drama we have in a good number of SEC destinations here. And Connor, since you spoke up, I'll begin with you. You got a bold prediction about anybody who's getting a job or anybody who's losing a job? You got anything that 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 you feel confident that's going to happen with all this? I don't know if it's a bold prediction. But it's something out there that has just really rubbed me the wrong way. And so I'm going to go to town on this. Uh, The Lincoln Riley to LSU, I don't even want to, you know, give rumors the right word here. Lincoln Riley could go be coaching in the NFL. He'd go get a blank check from Jerry Jones to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys if he wanted to. Lincoln Riley to LSU is not going to happen. I I, I see people, I saw, I've seen our commenters mention that. Consider the source of where that information came from. I know it's hard, but there's so much information out there and where you're hearing it from. Literacy online is important, and I feel like I'm giving a TED Talk right now. But Lincoln Riley to LSU at this stage, it's not happening. It is ridiculous. The fact that that number was thrown out there is just purely grasping for straws. Lincoln Riley would not make the move to LSU, given that he has had the opportunity to move to the college game in recent – or to the NFL game in recent seasons. So 
it's not so much a bold prediction. I think he's still the odds-on favorite to be the head coach at Oklahoma, but there is a 0% chance that Lincoln Riley is going to take the LSU job. So I talked about this today. Like, I feel like a fairly significant portion of my life is noticing what college football fans are hysterical about and then trying to trace it back to patient zero. About half the time, I'm like, is this really the start of this? Like, the other day, Tom Luganbill's like, wouldn't surprise me if Lincoln Riley uh, took the LSU job. That got aggregated and turned into news. Oklahoma fans came after Luganbill on that. He eventually's like, I was just giving my opinion. And all of a sudden, people started running with it. Like, ESPN analyst says Lincoln Riley's going to get the LSU job. And, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. I know there was the flight trucker thing, too, where a plane supposedly left Norman with uh, Baton Rouge. Who knows what all that's about? I, I kind of don't. First of all, I don't think Lincoln Riley's got the stones to go to LSU. I mean, this is a guy that, that can be there at uh, Norman, Oklahoma. You can play offense. You can kind of ignore defense. You can beat up on the Big 12 teams. The pressure cooker that exists at LSU were the last three coaches that have been there have won national championships, but the last guy won a national championship like five minutes ago, and they've already fired him. You think Lincoln Riley's going to walk through that door and take that job there in that situation? Lincoln Riley, I don't think I don't think he's got enough bass in his voice to take a uh, job there uh, like that. He needs to stay right where he is, and eventually, of course, Oklahoma's going to be in the SEC. But LSU is in the SEC, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't quite think Lincoln Riley's – cut out for that kind of life necessarily uh jeff how about for you all this coaching stuff that's going on you've got a uh you've got a uh, bold prediction or thought about how it might play out yeah funny i guess so you basically want to say that uh lincoln Riley doesn't have enough chest to coach at lsu yeah to go uh, to back you. with the uh, great line from uh less miles from years ago that's a, that's a nice 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 point uh, uh i don't know the the crazy zany silly season thing for me uh, I, I would imagine that more likely than not, even with a natty, that I think Georgia retains both coordinators because I don't know if the right jobs are opening up for a Lanning to jump. Or uh, and I still believe that that Lanning has a pretty strong example from Kirby Smart about waiting for the right one and waiting waiting for the big one. Uh, you know, you saw the interest in Lanning a little bit last year, uh, last year a little bit, and. Uh, Gotta, folks got to remember, this guy's probably, you know, 35, something like that. I think that's what he is. Glenn he's Schumann 35. Is even actually, I think he might actually be 34. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's still fast-tracking it a lot uh, with his career. And, uh, the, you know, the other thing is, like, you got you to gotta remember this, folks. You're going to have to put together a staff uh, to get a really elite job. And, you know, is it a Munkin guy that can put together a staff? Maybe. Is it a Lanning that can put together a really elite staff? Uh, you got to remember this. There's a lot of players that are funneling in and out in Georgia all the time. And uh, some of these guys are really competitive dudes and they really like to win. I know Dan Lanning has a young family. That's probably another consideration about rooting up uh, posterity and rooting up harmony just to go chase a bigger check. I mean, if Kirby, if Kirby's going to end up with 11 million uh, in a contract and it's man, that's side road. It's a great occupation to have where, Whatever Kirby does, he can go from seven to nine to eleven, and then if he wins a couple other, he wins a couple of other uh, natties or whatever, he can go to fourteen. It, it, they just throw that deal away and they just rework it. It's funny how uh, if Freddie Freeman signs for six years, he's going to be making thirty-two million in his sixth year. But if Kirby signs something right now for ten point five, ten point seven five per, well, if he elevates his profession above that, then he can go get some more money. Just an interesting take on all that. 
I got one more thought on this particular subject, broadly speaking. But uh, before that, Mike, squeeze in here and uh, jump in on this topic. Anything you expect to happen, whether it be Mullen getting fired or uh, somebody getting hired at a particular pe- uh, place or someone like Beamer leaving, you got anything uh, that you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think Lane Kiffin's going to leave Ole Miss. Um, I, I think this will be Matt Corral's final home game, even though he's an underclassman. I think Lane realizes he's hot right now. Uh, he's got an eight-win season at Ole Miss, maybe a 10-win season. And you got to cash in when you have these opportunities, guys, when you have seasons like this. Uh, at Miami, a potential destination. You know, I've talked to people in Florida, and I don't know that Dan Mullen's going to be fired. I think this Missouri game is very dangerous. I think we talked about that earlier this week. Um Part of the issue for Florida is, you know, who would they hire? Like, I know what you were saying a moment ago, Jeff, about maybe there's not a good fit for Dan Lanning. And I thought about Virginia Tech myself. But but if you look at the pool of head coaching candidates out there, it runs dry pretty quickly uh, when you look, well, you know, yeah, Lane Kiffin, but there's going to be some schools that are going to have problems with his some of the incidents of his personal background, you know, much like I'd say uh, Hugh Freeze Light. Not quite that dramatic, but in the same vein, some you know could could some of those Gators uh, would they be willing to swallow a little pride uh, to hire Elaine Kiffin? Think about um, you know the pizzazz that he brings, and you know, think about a Kirby Smart Lane Kiffin rivalry. We kind of already see one with Lane Kiffin uh, picking against George on game day, which by the way he deleted his tweet. Uh, goodness gracious! So I think Kiffin goes somewhere. Maybe maybe he's in play at LSU. I don't know. I like Aranda is a possibility. I think Dave Aranda is a great coach. Really enjoyed visiting him a couple years ago when he revealed the Pickens plan. One of my favorite stories as a Georgia beat writer was uh, getting Dave Aranda one-on-one for about 10 minutes and him revealing that there were five different coverage packages that they did not break out until the second half, specifically for George Pickens. That's how good this guy is. And to have Dave Aranda hold court with me on that was, it was, it's nice when coaches will talk X's and O's because you guys know how rare it is. So uh, Pat Narduzzi is a guy who could cash in on a huge year with Kenny Pickett. Uh, Pitt is a good job, but it's not a great job. I know Pat, uh, I've talked to him before. He, he wants, he wants a piece of the SEC. We talk about coaches wanting a chance to reach for it all. Pat sees the SEC as the major leagues. It is the major leagues of college football. So those are some of the names I kick around. And, and Lanning, I'm kind of – I'm 50-50 because I'm, I'm a big – again, I've told you this before, don't necessarily root for teams, but root for people. I'm a big Dan Lanning guy. I like what he's about. I like the energy. I like the way he represents Kirby. The things Kirby said about him impresses me because you guys know Kirby doesn't throw a whole lot of bouquets. But when Kirby said that Lanning did some things outside the box, if he's doing things that Kirby Smart hasn't seen, he's pretty special. Uh, I'd like to see him at Virginia Tech. So those are some of the names, B.A., that I think about. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Connor, what, what do you think? I saw your hand up a minute ago. Yeah, so one, to, to Mike's point about Dave Aranda, whoever hires Dave Aranda is going to win this coaching carousel cycle. And and I know his resume is a little similar to Mel Tucker's. I just believe that guy is an absolute star. And Mel Tucker as well. I think he's a very, very good coach. Just Nine million might be a little rich for my blood. Two, B.A., can I give you a Florida coaching name that I think you're going to laugh, but I actually think makes a lot of sense? Okay, please do. Dan Quinn. Oh, that's interesting. 
Former that, Florida defensive coordinator, yeah, has spent time in both college and the pros, was regarded as a very good recruiter on Will Muschamp's staff, by the way. A near Super Bowl winning coach, though, very famously blew it. But sure. I would point out as well, for all the, you know, for those that would worry about, oh, well, that just be a Muschamp all over again. Dan Quinn showed that he was very capable of hiring creative offensive minds to put schemes yeah. in Kyle Shanahan, Steve Sarkeesian. He did a Before. good job with that at the NFL level. So if Florida does decide to move on from Dan Mullen, which I think the hesitation there is when Scott's – if and when Scott Strickland does that, it starts, the, it starts the clock on Scott Strickland in his time there at Florida. And if that hire doesn't go well, he himself might get moved on from pretty quickly there. So – if I'm giving a Florida name out there, Dan Quinn is a name that I would at least be very interested in seeing what he ends up doing. So a thousand gold stars for for a very clever name to mention there. I almost wonder if that's too outside the box for a Florida program that really needs to make sure they get that next one right. And there's a lot of reasons to be suspicious of Quinn there and that. But in terms of a conversation starter, uh, that's good stuff. You should definitely blog about that because that's uh, that's a very, very strong conversation starter name like here's my quick take on kiffin listen i'm gonna give kiffin all the credit in the world he has had a better year at Ole miss this year than i thought he was probably capable of and i think he's proving himself to be a little bit more mature now than he was earlier in his career there's no doubt about that whatsoever so he is now i would say more of a candidate to get a bigger and better job but the question then you ask yourself is well do you really need to leave Ole miss and here's the thing i can't you know quite shake here is that you look at the unique circumstances with the 2023 recruiting class, the fact that there's an Arch Manning in that class. And, you know, Manning's uncle was a good player at Ole Miss. Manning's grandfather was the greatest player in program history. There is a lot of connection between the Mannings and Ole Miss. But right now, it certainly seems like Arch Manning, at least if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, is actually trending away from Ole Miss. That that it doesn't seem like right now, even though they painted Manning in the, the end zone for the game that he visited here this season. Obviously, they retired Eli's number that day. But it doesn't seem like right now Ole Miss is among the favorites to land Arch Manning services. And so here's the thing I'm left with, and, and Jeff, since this is kind of recruiting-based, I'll give you a chance to respond to this, that if you can't win with the one elite five-star quarterback that's the most likely to ever go to Ole Miss, there's never going to be a five-star quarterback more likely to go Ole Miss than Arch Manning would be. But if you can't you know, be one of the three hats on the table for that finale or have a chance to win that, then that to me would be running on the wall that if you want to be a big time coach, you've got to go somewhere else besides Ole Miss to be able to do it. So maybe, as Mike said, maybe the getting is good for for Kiffin right now to get that bigger job. I don't think Miami's that. I think I think that Miami's become a little bit of a weird program. Um, I'm not quite so sure that 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 would be a destination job for me. But if you do have a chance just to have some bigger recruiting infrastructure maybe it is time to leave leave Ole Miss because if you can't win with with Arch Manning when he's such a deep legacy then you're just going to always be playing second fiddle to, to top players man Brandon Peaches is a professional she knows to hop off the chair when you stop talking man that's really good man uh, power that I have. <laughs> you know I, I never really thought Ole Miss was a major player I, anyway for Arch Manning. It's just like – seems like he's had his list of names, and there was the Alabamas, the Texases, the Georgias, the Clemsons of the world. It's just kind of – where do we think the Manning brand resides right now? It's kind of like when you mentioned Miami. Miami feels like a fossil. you got Ed Reed recruiting – really recruiting guys down, down in the 305 to, you know, South Florida to come play for the U and – that's not working out. I just think it's a broken program. You can't recruit there. The fan base is disjointed. You got to drive 30 miles from the stadium to, to get to a game. There's no really 
outdoor tailgating environment there. It's really not a campus feel. <coughs> Excuse. Excuse me. <coughs> there you go. Wow. That's my last sneeze. Um, I usually sneeze in threes. That's one of the things. When I do sneeze, I sneeze in threes. Hopefully, I can get a couple of bless shoes or gazoon heights out there. You guys are southern gentlemen, right? Come bless on. you, Jeff. Bless you. All right. All right. Thank you. The, bless, the, the bless, you. bless you. Bless you. A sneeze go. or a cough? That's a I was song. actually wor- I was actually worried about you for a second, uh, but I'm glad <laughs> you're okay. Um, and you know the thing there with a lot of this stuff with Manning is it it seems like whether this is the season of fortuitous fortuitous things for Georgia football, but look how Texas is kind of withering on the vine a little bit right now and not playing, you know, that great football that's going to attract a lot of big names and guys will look elsewhere. Um, one name that I that I kind of back pocketed for all that SEC coaching talk, guys. I want to know what you guys think about Mike Leach. Do you think the long-term fit is going to be there at Mississippi State or has the season he's had this year maybe upgraded his resume with all these coaching jobs coming open? I still think he's a hard – go ahead. ahead. No, I I still think Mike Leach is a hard person for anybody to hire because he's just so dadgum weird. He says a bunch of weird things. He sued his ex-employer, which is a huge red flag for for anybody that that would hire him. He's another one of these guys that, you know, he's – coached up Mississippi State this year better than I assumed that he would. I'll, I'll, I'll give him credit for that. He's just a tough guy to hire. For as entertaining as he is for talking about Halloween candy, he goes out there and you know trashes his kicker in a press conference the following week. Like, that just does not sit well with, like, professionals. And that's – that you know, Kiff, I mean, uh, a leech is just always going to be a tough – he's always going to be a tough sell to people who wear suits and ties for a living. But go ahead, Connor. Yeah, I just – I think Mississippi State is – By the way, uh, Mike, I'm going to finish with this on this topic. Croaking123 in the comment section a moment ago said that he hoped that Florida would fire Mullen and hire Lane Kiffin. He thinks that'd be good for George. At least that's what I, I think he meant. At this stage of the game, I'm not quite so sure that's true. I mean, you know, Kiffin's offense is moving that football. And, you know, for all the, the you know, lack of street smarts that Mullen seems to have, Kiffin seems to have some of that in spades that – you know, Mullen's not comfortable in his own skin. He's not genuine. He's just a fake phony. Whereas Kiffin, for better or worse, you know, he's he's kind of comfortable being himself. Now, I think he's a little bit more of a keyboard warrior and that he's funnier on Twitter than he is in real life. But I, I got to say, I, I've got enough respect for Kiffin now that my preference would be that Florida not hire a guy like that, that I'm a lot more comfortable with, with what I think of as a little bit of an inauthentic Dan Mullen than the more authentic Lane Kiffin, who anybody I'll tell you does truly know offensive football. Yeah, I think Lane Kiffin's dangerous. I do. I, I think he's he's willing to. Uh, I, I, I I mean I haven't been in Tennessee when Lane was there, and and as I said, I did a story. One of my assignments was to document the Tennessee violations versus the other violations in the SEC, and Lane and Saban were neck and neck. Uh, for those secondary oops violations, right? Oh, my goodness. Did we break a rule? I didn't know that. And therefore, it's not a major violation, although Kiffin actually did have a major violation. Tennessee should have been put on probation because they paid for hostesses to attend a game in a non-contact period. How they didn't get a major violation, uh, probably because Kiffin was gone and they nailed Bruce Pearl 
for a much lesser, although uh, effective violation. Um, a short little history lesson there. I, I'm with you though, BA. I, I'm with you. I think that that Dan Mullen is a. I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's a great coach, and I objected strongly to the notion that he was a guru that was going to conquer Georgia and predicted an eight and four year. I was off. Obviously he's not that effective this year. I think Lane Kiffin though, could be dangerous because of the extremes that he would be willing to go to because of the riches in the state of Florida. That is a state that is waiting to be conquered by someone. And I want to throw this out there in the Arch Manning thing. Um, you know, I just feel like Peyton and Eli, you know, the Manning being painted in the end zone, I think that was as much to impress Arch. But don't you just get a feeling – I always get this feeling when Peyton would go back to Tennessee for big games, like this week, that he was in the film room. Like Peyton doesn't just go and say hi. Peyton's the kind of guy that says, let's watch some film together. Peyton's the kind of guy that helps that team. Can you imagine Peyton – and Eli huddling up there at Old Miss with whatever coach. I don't know who their coach is. Who's the head coach you plug in there that works with the Mannings? But, you know, talk about guys that like to evolve and have fun. They're so incredibly entertaining on Monday night. But you just get the feeling that these guys can do whatever they want. And what if Arch is their monster? And, and they work with the staff. So I just kind of want to – and what if they go to LSU, right? That's where the Manning hasn't gone. They're from New Orleans, what if Arch is the LSU Tiger and the Mannings right now are the ones that are picking the next head coach for LSU with Arch part of the package? Yeah, I think that's uh, kind of an interesting thing to consider there. If you don't mind, let's shift gears to our final topic before we let things go here tonight. Obviously, Top 25 re-released by the College Ball Playoff Selection Committee on Tuesday. Uh, Connor, anything jump out to you of, of note with this? There were a couple of things, obviously, kind of – you know, down market a little bit that that got my attention. But but what jumps out to you about the top 25 right now that came out on Tuesday night? Unfortunately, these top teams have continued to win, and so it's hard to change things up. Uh, I found it interesting that, you know, assuming Alabama beats Arkansas this weekend, depending on the point spread there, Georgia next week could have zero wins over teams ranked in the college football playoff top 25. Not that it matters all that much because Georgia has so thoroughly dominated everybody. But I did find that a little bit interesting. Uh, I I think this is maybe the week that you see Ohio State potentially leapfrog Oregon, though I think Oregon's going to lose outright this week anyway and shift some things up there in the top uh, four as it stands. Oklahoma's really got some work to do because they're all the way back in 13th and the lowest any team has come from at this point in the season is 7th. So I I think that loss, even though it's only one loss, I, I think could prove to be really damaging for the Sooners there. And I think I, I still think Michigan is a team to watch out for. And while they're all caught up in the Michigan State Michigan thing, I think even Mike would admit Michigan obviously they didn't deserve to win, but they played really well in that game. And they and I think you could say outplayed Michigan State. But one of the beauties of football is that the best team does not always win. And so I, I think if they're able to beat beat Ohio State a week from now, beat a, a pretty good Wisconsin team now in the Big Ten title game. I think they're maybe the team that, you know, Cincinnati's not happening. It's it's just not. Unless all these teams lose multiple times, I just don't think Cincinnati is happening. And we've seen time and time again the evidence there to support that. I I, I think Michigan is maybe the team lurking just outside 
that maybe makes a run at this playoff. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that, Connor. I think that Michigan is still very much part of this discussion right now. And Jeff, to, to Connor's point about Oklahoma, I told you all last week that there's something kind of going on with Oklahoma and that yeah, this committee just seems to have some issues with the Sooners. And I thought it was interesting that when Wake Forest lost to North Carolina a couple of weeks ago, Wake Forest only dropped three spots for doing so. Whereas when Oklahoma lost to a Baylor team that is way better than UNC is, uh, Oklahoma dropped five spots for losing to Baylor. Now, some of that's related to who was also moving up. So it's not a perfect comparison. But I think at this point in time, I think you can just about say that the Big 12 is eliminated from college football playoff discussion. I don't think Oklahoma State and uh, Baylor's lost twice already, so they're not really a part of this thing. But the way in which Oklahoma drops, I think now when you're looking at those four spots, I think you can eliminate the Big 12 as one of the conferences competing for one of those spots based on just how far Oklahoma lost, having lost to Baylor. Even though there may be an Oklahoma-Baylor rematch in the Big 12 title game, um, I just think Oklahoma has now fallen too far. Precedent would suggest they have. I think they've fallen too far to be in the college football playoff. That may have been the most significant thing the committee did this past week. Well, I think the door is open, and this is a scary thought. I think the door is open for a two-loss Alabama. I really do. I wouldn't have said that two or three weeks ago, but with Oklahoma losing – uh, you know, the scenario that Connor's painting of Michigan uh, finishing strong, I could see Michigan, uh, to Connor's point, I'll concede that I think there's a better chance that Michigan beats Ohio State at home than Michigan State beats Ohio State on the road. But I could also see Michigan losing to Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game and wiping out the Big Ten. I think as the season's progressed, that it looks more and more like maybe a two-loss Alabama could get in. And, and my goodness, uh, wouldn't it just figure uh, that a two-loss Bama would get in? Uh, wouldn't that be crazy and, and seem unjust? But I would consider a, a two-loss Alabama versus a one-loss Oklahoma State probably going with the two-loss Bama. A two-loss Bama versus, well, what is Wisconsin? They might have three losses, actually. Um, so I, I'm not ready to rule out Cincinnati as quickly as Connor, but only because I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory on this. The reason why I think Cincinnati is a little higher than maybe we expected and Oklahoma's a little lower than we expected is because I think Oklahoma's dirty dealings with the Big 12 is probably coming back to haunt them a little bit with the playoff committee. And the fact that Cincinnati is on board to be a Power 5 team uh, in the next few years probably helps them. I think these are things that people think about. I think the thing that helps Cincinnati the most, also they beat Notre Dame because Notre Dame continues to play pretty good football. And the fact that Notre Dame is on the outside of kind of being playoff contention, I think that keeps Cincinnati alive. <laughs> and um, I mean, I don't believe Cincinnati is going to make it. I've said that in fact the entire time, but I, I do believe these Bearcats are getting more consideration than any group of five team ever has gotten. Ultimately, I think they're still going to be left at the altar, but they are, you know, getting more consideration here. Yeah, do you take a one-loss Notre Dame over a two-loss Bama? No, I don't. I think Alabama's the second-best team in the country right now. Now, listen, selfishly, it'd be nice not to have to see Georgia have to beat them twice. There's there, there's a sense of frustration there. But if I want to, like, take this Georgia hat off, and if I did, my hair would be messed up. But if I <laughs> take my Georgia hat off and I try to do this from the perspective of what really is the four best teams. There's no doubt that Georgia's the best team in the country. There's no doubt that Alabama's the second best team in the country. So Joey Galloway said this on TV on Tuesday night. If number two plays number one, the game is close. How much do you really downgrade number two for that? And if you talk about logistics here, if the, if the Big 12 is eliminated, if there's a distaste for Cincinnati, 
if Oregon has had trouble kind of winning these games down the stretch, one of the problems you run into is Alabama might make it in because other would-be playoff contenders kind of just disqualify themselves. That's the other thing here. It's not just Bama earning its way in by beating Arkansas, Auburn, and then playing it close to Georgia. It's also the fact that you got to have four teams somewhere, and, and Alabama might just be the lone team left standing. Connor, I'll give you the last word on this. Yeah, so I understand the idea of a two-loss Alabama, but would that we then see Alabama and Georgia in an immediate rematch in the college football playoff? Because they're almost certainly going to be the number four seed. They but, not? If, but let's say the game was like 2018 Redux, except it was the it was the opposite of outcome. Let's say that Georgia uh, won 35-28. Um, I, I don't think you have to put Bam at four for losing by one touchdown, given the fact that Georgia hasn't played a one-score game since the season opener. If you wanted to finagle it so they're not playing in the national semifinal, if you wanted to finagle it so they didn't rematch the national title game, I think a 35-28 score or something along those lines then gives you a chance to do that. Frankly, if the margin for victory for Georgia is higher than that, that's the thing that I do think would knock Alabama out of the playoff. But if it's a close game, I think you can justify keeping them at, I mean, maybe not keep them at two, but you could drop them down to three. And I don't think you'd have have much need to apologize for that. Do you not agree with that? I, I just think the committee knows if they put a two, if, if they put this Alabama team, which has not been as dominant as other Alabama teams out there, and has just, in my opinion, has just as many question marks as an Ohio State, as an Oregon does. I, I just, the committee knows, I think the committee is starting to get sensitive to some of the ideas that are out there about it. And if they do that, they only further open themselves up to criticism. And I don't think they're going to have the stomach for that. So, Jeff, I told Connor he'd get the last word. I'm going to give the last word on this. Here's my feeling here, is that I can kind of tolerate Bama making the playoff as a two-loss team. I'm sort of on guard for that happening. But the one thing I can't really tolerate is this, the idea that George would beat them, knock them down to the four seed, and George would then essentially be punished and have to go bait them again the very next game. Like, at the very least, if Bama makes it as a two-loss team, you better see them playing Ohio State in a 2-3 matchup on the other side of the bracket and Georgia kind of dealing with whatever's left over as the four seed. That better be what you're, you're getting there because if, if Georgia's reward for being the number one seed was to play the second best team in the country two games in a row, at that point in time, that, that's just not fair. Now, life's not fair, but that's not – but but that's just not fair. So, I don't have a problem as a Georgia fan with Bama being in the playoff if Georgia beats them, but I want to see them in that national semifinal game against Ohio State because at that point in time – if it's Bama for a second time or if it's Ohio State, those are both really tough opponents. That's a, that's a worthy national championship opponent. At that point, it wouldn't really matter to me which team it was. But I don't think Georgia should have to play them again right away in a national semifinal. That would just be – that would be beyond the pale. So, Brandon, you got my mind thinking, my left brain here thinking. And, you know, you said the words fair or unfair. Well, this is college football. And any, any, time, any chance that Alabama gets to be the last dance partner – they're going to get that. They're going to get that invitation. Think about this for me. And I blame you guys for all stirring this up in my head. This is chaos theory, folks. Let me frame this. This is chaos theory and probably perhaps the fact that this Georgia season has been a little bit too perfect. And sometimes these Georgia fans that we cover and we talk to are worried for when's Lucy going to pull the football away. Georgia beats Alabama. Let's say Georgia beats Alabama by double digits handily in the SEC championship game. Alabama still makes it in because of the withering of teams like Ohio State, Oklahoma, uh, Michigan, Michigan State, what have you. 
and then and then Georgia faces Alabama again in the Natty in the national championship game. And let's say that's a squeaker. And just for argument's sake, what if, what if Alabama, a two-loss Alabama who has already beaten Georgia, beats Georgia by a squeaker in the national championship game? Now, I know the playoff's the playoff, and that's the final game. That's the penultimate game. But, man, that's really going to stink to high heaven if that sort of thing happens in major college football. Yeah, I just sort of think if Bama loses by more than one score to Georgia, I do think at that point in time – I don't care what happens the rest of it. It's just hard to include him in the playoff. I mean, last year they did this with Notre Dame, and the playoff ratings were terrible. I know they're not supposed to be thinking about TV ratings, but they had four big-time programs the playoff a year ago, and the ratings stunk to high heavens. And I can't be so sure that that gifting uh, Notre Dame in the playoff wasn't a, a reason for part of that. Uh, anybody got a final thought here? We'll take one or two comments. We'll get ready to go. Anybody got a final thought on this topic at all? You know, we're down by two passes. Touchdowns. Um, all right, good, good to know. Uh, dynamite drop in, gentlemen. Um, uh, Crow King, you keep giving says, Jeff the last word on the subject. I thought you gave multiple people the last word. I thought that'd be the last word. <laughs> just making sure, just making sure. Uh, Rick Wallace says, uh, he says, I hate Bama, not because of Saban, but <laughs> he does not like Alabama fans. So Rick Wallace weighing in on that. Uh, somebody said the two loss Bama would have to be an SEC champ to make it, which obviously would create a crazy scenario the next couple of weeks if Bama were to lose one of these two games but still find a way to win the SEC, that's pretty crazy. And I still believe there's at least some chance we get two Big Ten, two SEC teams to play. I haven't quite given up on that uh, as of yet, although that's a little bit of a difficult to go to thrill. I'll certainly admit that. Um, DW says uh, poetic justice would be Ohio State playing Oregon in the playoffs. It would be interesting if there was a rematch between these two teams, obviously played in September. I mean, I think Ohio State's a different team than it was then. Uh, Mike, I also think Ohio State's just proving more week-to-week than Oregon is right now. I mean, I think head-to-head matters, but I think head-to-head only matters to a point. Yeah, I mean, I I hear what you're saying, uh, but I I think it matters enough right now that if Oregon can run the table, uh, that they should get the nod over the Ohio State. I mean, not only did they play in their stadium across the country, they kicked off at noon, which was a 9 a.m. Pacific game, which is just – Ridiculous that Fox would do that. It's almost like loaded dice to me. And yet Oregon won anyway. Just like I think Cincinnati needs to make it ahead of Notre Dame. I just The head-to-head stuff bothers me a little bit. I, I do think that what's really happening in the Michigan-Michigan State positioning isn't really for the playoff. I think it's more really about the New Year's Six Bowls. They've done this to Michigan State before. When Michigan State's beat Michigan, they've left them out of the New Year's Six because Michigan is a more popular and attractive TV draw because guys like Connor just assume they're better every year. Never want to give the Spartans any credit, but that's we're used to it. Connor, it's all right. It's part of being a Spartan. We got that, that little brother syndrome you got up there. The little brother syndrome, it really is. So, so Connor, uh, I'll give you the. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, well, I would just conclude with that that I think if Oregon runs the table there. So last word for the whole show. Um, I, I don't think Oregon and, and Ohio State is going to be a comparison because the Big Ten champion is going to get in the playoff, and that's Ohio State. They're going to roller skate mm-hmm. into the playoff. But if Oregon keeps winning, I think that ends the debate for them there as well. That where they're ranked right now, I think there's I think there's an appetite for the Pac-12 in the playoff. Um, you know, Oregon's a little bit of a as much of a West Coast team can be, kind of a, a name brand. Oregon's got a little bit of that. I think that Oregon can eliminate a lot of playoff debate all the way around by just continuing to win, correct? I would agree with that. I think, you know, while this Oregon team, they have not been overly impressive. They won a fair number of their games by double digits recently as well. They got a big test this week at Utah, and they're probably going to see Utah again in the Pac-12 title game. 
So I, I do think if this Oregon team keeps winning, and in part it's because of what has happened with the rest of college football, you see the Big 12 taking a step back. And what hurts a one-loss Oklahoma State is that if they're going to get to the playoff as a potential one-loss team or they're going to end the regular season as a one-loss team, that means Oklahoma's probably a three-loss team there. And so you start to wonder about the impressiveness of their victories. The ACC, I mean, I love Wake. Wake's a cool story, but Wake's not sniffing the playoffs as currently set up. So I think because of what has happened in these other conferences, uh, I think Oregon has a, a better, a much better chance of getting into the playoff than we maybe thought three to four weeks ago. I love this time of year. I love coaching rumors. I love playoff debate. I love the whole thing. And as someone who's a Georgia fan, the thing that Georgia's at the forefront of this entire discussion for the uh, playoff and national championship, that is uh, truly incredible. Great comments here tonight for everybody, Mike and Jeff and Connor. Thanks for being here for Cover 4 Live. We certainly appreciate that. I know uh, great coverage we had through the weekend, senior day at Georgia with the Buccaneers of Charleston Southern, the uh, – Diamond in the rough of the Big South Conference coming into Athens there on Saturday. Um, so uh, good coverage of that, and we'll look forward to that. I'll see you tomorrow morning for Dog Nation Daily. Jeff Sintel will stop by. He'll do some UJ recruiting with us. Then Jeff and I both will see you tomorrow night way up in Cartersville for an unbelievable high school game between Cartersville and Warner Robins. They are on Peachtree TV. I'll have the play-by-play call of that, and that is going to be a great time as well. Great comments, great discussion, great time. Cover four live. We will not see you next Thursday because that is Thanksgiving, but we will see you again very soon, though. So enjoy yourself, and we will talk later on. And enjoy the dog for the last time. See you.